0: I wonder this morning, how many of you followed the show Extreme Makeover Home Edition? Were there there any of you who are just loyal followers of that show? I would guess most of you uh, are familiar with it. Even if uh, you never watched a single episode, the premise was pretty simple to understand. It's taking something old and making it new again, and what we saw week after week was a family who had a home that was in desperate need of some repair, and over the course of a week, as the family was swept away to a restful vacation spot, the crew uh, got to work on their home, renovating and transforming that old house into something better and something new, and at the end of the week, the family was brought back. They'd be lined up outside of their home uh, with their, their, uh, their view blinded by the crew cruise enormous bus and Ty Pennington would say those famous words what were they Move that bus, and he'd yell that into his megaphone, and the bus would roll out of the way, and the family would just be overwhelmed with emotion, right? They'd start crying and cheering, and people are going crazy as they saw the transformation that had taken place on their home. Well, if you were living in the Indianapolis area in 2009, you might remember that a family from the east side of Indy was the recipient of an extreme home makeover, and uh, the McFarland family, who lives on the the east side, had been living in a home with holes in their ceiling, Holes in their walls and in their floors, there was water damage, there was rusting pipes, corroded wiring, crumbling drywall. It was really an unsafe place for this family to live. And here's what their home looked like before the makeover. Uh, that, that was the before shot. But after spending a week touring Paris, the McFarlands came home to something completely different. They came home to this A brand-new 2,500-square-foot home and a 900-square-foot library and resource center used in a child mentoring program for the neighborhood kids. The crew also constructed a basketball court and a putting green to go with the home. We love stories like this, don't we? I mean, we love stories of transformation. We love seeing something old being made new. And as I said, for the the past several weeks, we've been studying the book of Ephesians in this series that we've called Identity Crisis, and we've been talking about what it means to find our identity in Christ. Paul has a lot to say about that in his letter to the Ephesians, and this morning, as we continue uh, in this study, we're going to see that Paul uh, holds fast, and he believes in this principle of transformation. I, I wonder if that stood out to you as you read that text just a minute ago, that something old being made new. Paul starts by saying this in verse uh, verses seventeen through nineteen of Ephesians chapter four. He says, "So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord." So Paul isn't making a suggestion here. Okay, this is a command; it carries some authority. He says, "You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking." Now, who are the Gentiles? Well, what we know is that the book of Ephesians is written primarily to those who used to be Gentiles. That is, that, that they're not of Jewish descent, but who have now accepted Christ. So they're Christians. So in this context, when Paul talks about the Gentiles, he's talking about those who are not following Christ. The, that, that's the Gentiles that Paul is referring to, do, to. And let me just pause here to say that I realize some of you here today are not Christ followers. okay? Maybe you're searching, but you haven't made that commitment to follow after Christ. If that's you, I want to say I'm so glad that you're here with us uh, this morning. You're always welcome here, and, uh, and we're always happy to have you. I also want you to know that the Apostle Paul, in this passage, is going to say some things that may seem harsh and insensitive about the Gentiles. I-, I want you to keep in mind that he is writing to a group of people who have made a commitment to Christ. Okay, So his intent is not to belittle or to speak hardly towards those who don't know Christ. Rather, he, he wants to remind Christ followers of the high standard and the high commitment that they have made. And if you've never made a commitment to Christ, this isn't to shame you, this isn't to single you out. But I do pray that as you listen today, that the Lord will speak to your heart and that he'll help you to better understand that Ju- Jesus truly is the way, the truth, and the life. And he has a hope and he has a future for you that is so different than life as you currently know it. But for those of us here today who are Christians, Paul, he isn't going to pull any punches. He says, you've made a commitment and your identity is now supposed to be found in Christ. So it's time to live differently. And what does that look like? Well, look at what he says in the next verse. In verse 18, he says, as he's reminding these Ephesians of what their life used to be, he says... Uh, the Gentiles, they're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And again, he's not picking on the Gentiles, okay? We hear that word ignorance, and uh, it's pick, picked up somewhat of a derogatory feel to it, right? My buddies and I, when we were in high school, used to call each other ignorant all the time. You're ignorant. And uh, there was, you know, there was kind of a love in there, I guess. But but what it meant was you're stupid is essentially what we were telling each other. But that, that word ignorant doesn't necessarily have to carry that connotation it just means someone who doesn't know something that's what ignorance is it's just not knowing something and so the gentiles they they don't know the life that god has given paul says that they are darkened in their understanding and when he wrote these words light was understood as a universal symbol for knowledge it was a, a universal symbol for understanding so what paul is pointing out here is spiritual blindness He says, listen, don't live like that. That's not your identity anymore. And he explains what that kind of living leads to. Look at verse 19. He says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. So Paul, he's alluding to the root of the problem here. And the root of the problem is our sin nature. And it's not just a problem for the Gentiles it's a problem for every member of the human race. Remember what Paul said earlier when we looked at Ephesians chapter two uh, in verses one through three, He says, "As for you, speaking to the, the followers of Christ uh, in Ephesus, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient." He's talking about the devil. And then this next phrase, you might want to underline this in your Bible. Verse 3, he says, All of us, all of us also used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. He's saying that the sin nature, it's affected all of us. None of us are exempt from it. It's not just a Gentile problem. It's a human problem. And it drives us to live this self-centered life. Our hearts as sinful humans, they naturally gravitate towards selfish desires. And if you're a follower of Christ, you know that this can be a great struggle. We know the good that we ought to do, but it's so hard to do it sometimes, isn't it? It's so hard to, to pursue what is right. And it's a battle that even Paul himself had to fight. You might want to look this up later if you want to make a note. In Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about this struggle with the sin nature. He says, the things that I don't want to do, I keep on doing them. And the things that I know I should do, I just, I can't seem to do it. And there's this, this force that's at work inside of me, and it's pulling me towards sinful things. But he says there's another force at work in me as well, and it's the Spirit of God. Paul says, who who is it that can deliver me from this sinful nature? Well, it's God. God can. Through Jesus Christ, we can be delivered from the sin nature. And listen, some of you maybe have thought that Paul was some sort of a super Christian Christian. That you know, it's easy for him to write about righteousness and holiness because he didn't really struggle with sin the way that you and I do today. He didn't know what it's like to live in a sexually promiscuous culture or to have pornography just a mouse click away. He he didn't suffer and, and encounter things like substance abuse. He he didn't know what it was like, and, and it was a lot easier to be a man of God when Paul lived, right? Well, not really. If you study the life and the times of Paul, what you'll find is that, that he did live in the midst of sexual immorality, that he did live in a culture that, that celebrated substance abuse. And, and Paul actually has a lot to say about living with sexual integrity, has a lot to say about moving away from substance abuse in his, his letters. He did encounter these same temptations that you and I face today. But what we need to realize is that in the struggle against the flesh, The tools that were available to Paul, the resources, they're the same resources that are available to you and I today God's Word, prayer, and the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. That's how Paul overcame the sinful nature, and that's how we will overcome it as well. And those of you who have come to me to talk about spiritual issues, you know that the three things I'm going to ask you are Are you in the Word? Are you praying to the Father? And are you walking in obedience to his spirit? That's how we win this battle, this struggle against the flesh. And if you aren't using those tools, then you are losing that battle. We have to be engaged in the battle. We have to be using those tools. Now look at what Paul says next in verse 20. He says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So Paul says essentially you know better. You know better, calling yourself a Christian and yet living like a Gentile is not what I taught you to do. Verse 22, he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness Imagine this with me for a minute, back to the Extreme Makeover Home Edition illustration. What if after being away for a week, the family was brought back home, and they were lined up in front of that bus, and Ty yelled into his megaphone, move that bus, and the bus rolled out of the way. And as the family sees their home, what they realize is nothing has changed at all. It's the exact same home that they left a a week earlier. Same holes in the ceiling. Same, you know, holes in the walls and in the floor. Same leaky pipes, mold growing in the crawl space. Same broken furniture. But the crew, man, they're excited. They're jumping and they're cheering and they're, yeah, you know, going crazy. Don't you think the family would be a little bit confused by that? I mean, it would be ridiculous to act that way, right? What's what's the celebration all about? Nothing has changed. And I think this, maybe, is what Paul is experiencing as he's encountering people who have claimed the identity of Christ, but nothing has really changed in their lives. I mean, there should be a complete change of identity here. Like the picture of the old house and the new house that we saw earlier, things should look completely different. He says, take off the old self and put on the new self. And he's, he's using the illustration of changing our clothes, that, that we would take off those old clothes and put on some new clothes. Some of you who are parents have experienced the joys of your kids learning to dress themselves. Isn't that a great day when all you have to do is say, you know what, go, go change your clothes. Go get dressed. And they go off and they know how to do it. Uh, but in the process, I'm guessing that some of you have also had a conversation that went something like this. I've asked Josiah, my son, to go upstairs and to change his clothes. And he comes back downstairs and I say, Josiah, did you change your underwear? Yeah, Dad, I changed my underwear. But upon further inspection, it becomes extremely apparent that there has been no changing of the underwear, right? Have you been there? I mean, there's no hiding it. The evidence is clearly there. This is not clean underwear. Go change, son, right? This, I think, is essentially what Paul is calling out. It's those who had claimed the name of Christ, but nothing has changed in their lives. It's kids walking around in dirty underwear saying it's clean. But what does Paul say? Look again at verse 22. He says, put off your old self. Put it off. Put it off. It's being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And then in verse 24, he says, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It's a two-part process. We have to do both. We have to take off the old and put on the new. So it makes sense, right? I mean, it seems simple enough, this picture of changing our clothes. But what does it look like in practice? Well, You know, Day in and day out, how do we take off the old and put on the new? Paul is about to give us several examples in the next few verses of what this looks like. And as we read through these verses, I want you to notice both parts of the process. What's associated with the old identity, what's associated with the new identity. And he starts this in verse 25. Let's look at it. It says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So that old self, he's a liar, okay? He uses his tongue for dishonest gain. He doesn't speak truthfully. He makes the story bigger than what it really is. But the new self, he, he doesn't lie, okay? He speaks honestly. He speaks truth. If you find yourself in a pattern of speaking dishonestly, I want to invite you this morning to take off the old and put on the new. Speak truth. Verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So the, the old self, he's a hothead. And he reacts and he responds in a sinful manner. Now notice the verse does not say, don't get angry. Anger in and of itself is not a sin, but what we do with our anger can become a sin. The old self is an angry hothead, and his mind is the devil's playground, taking thoughts to the extreme and building anger into hatred and into rage. But the new self doesn't let a day go by without appropriately addressing the issue. Some of you in your anger have allowed your minds to become the devil's playground, And that's old self living. Quit giving the devil a foothold in your anger. Take off the old, put on the new. In your anger, do not sin. Verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. So not only is the old self a liar and a hothead whose mind is the devil's playground, but he's also a thief He steals, and he doesn't think anything of it. In fact, he knows that stealing is wrong, but he'll tell you all the reasons why it's okay this time. But the new self doesn't steal. No, the new self actually works for what he needs. And he finds something useful to do with his hands. And notice that the work isn't just for our own benefit, but it's also for the benefit of others. It says that they may have something to share with those in need. And isn't that so interesting? Because unless you're Robin Hood, stealing is all about your own personal gain. But Paul says work for gain and then share it with others. It's another way of tearing down this kingdom of self. And some of you maybe need to admit that you've been living in the old self when it comes to this topic of stealing. You're turning in more time on that time card than you actually worked. You're you're leaving work a little bit earlier than you're supposed to. You're putting some things in your purse or your pocket that don't belong to you. And again, you can rationalize it, and you can come up with all of the reasons why it's okay this time. But that's old self-living. Take that off. Quit living that way. New self-living says, if I didn't work for it, Pay for it or in some other way earn it, I'm not going to take it. And when I do earn it, I'm going to share it with those around me who are in need. That's new self mentality. There was a young man uh, from our body here who was baptized at, at one of our services this past year. And uh, he told me a story that, that I wanted to share with you this morning, because I, I really think it, it speaks so powerfully to this topic of stealing and our new identity in Christ. He, he had accepted Christ into his life. Uh, the Spirit was convicting him of things that, that were, were <laughs> opposed to Christ and, uh, and one of those things was that he had been stealing from his employer. So he would go out to, to do a job. He would take the supplies that he needed for that job and a little extra. And whatever was left over, he would take it home. And he would work on his own home with these uh, materials. And the Spirit of God inside of him convicted him that, that that's not right. You're stealing from your employer. And so he knew what he had to do. He had to go to his employer, and he, he had to confess, and he had to ask for forgiveness. And knowing full well that he may be fired on the spot, he decided, I'm going to glorify God. I, I'm going to do the right thing. And he went to his employer, he set up the meeting, and he confessed it. Confessed it all. Had a, a, a spreadsheet laid out, here's what I took, uh, here's what it cost. And in an extreme act of grace, uh, his employer forgave him. The young man paid back for all that he had taken, uh, and to this day still works Uh, the same job for the same employer but what a great picture of that new identity coming forward and just honesty in this uh, area of stealing. Take off the old and put on the new. Do something useful with your hands that will benefit others. Maybe for some of you this starts with discovering how God has gifted you to serve the people around you, to serve in his kingdom. We've got a class coming up here at Genesis Church uh, that, that is designed to help you identify your spiritual gifts and then to find a place in the body to serve and to do something useful with those gifts. There's more information about this class on the What's Happening page, or you can also go uh, to genesischurch.me and uh, click the What's Happening tab there to learn more about the Spiritual Gifts class that's coming up. But maybe that class will be a tool to help you take off the old and put on the new and to do something useful with your hands. Verse 29, he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So the old self, man, he's a liar. He's an angry hothead whose mind is the devil's playground. He's a thief. Oh yeah. And his mouth, it's like a sewer. Okay. Every time he opens his mouth, it's just filth that comes out. It's gossip. It's destructive criticism. It's of no benefit to anyone who hears it. But the new self The new self takes the tongue captive to Christ. The new self speaks words that are helpful, words that build others up, words that benefit those who listen. And I wonder maybe if there's someone here who who needs to recognize that when it comes to your words, they sound a lot more like that old self than they do the new. And in Christ, it's time to take off the old and to put on the new. No more unwholesome talk, no more destructive words, even if they're true. Just don't say it. Only words that benefit those who listen. Verse 30, Paul says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So that old self, he's a liar. He's an angry hothead whose mind is the devil's playground. He's a thief. He's got a mouth like a sewer. And what else? Oh, yeah, he's a hurt-holding monster. That's who he is. He's full of bitterness and rage and anger, brawling, slander, malice. I mean, he's the life of the party, folks. This is the guy you want to invite to the party. But the new self, that new self, you know, it seeks kindness. The new self is full of compassion the new self offers forgiveness. And we're going to talk specifically next weekend about this command to forgive. But have you noticed that Paul hit just about every category of sin in verses 25 through 31? And, and some of this stuff you've maybe wrestled with and struggled with for a long time. I mean, you know, you've been trying to get your mouth under control. You've been trying to get your anger under control. It's not that you don't want to be different. You just can't seem to overcome some of those old patterns of sin, those old patterns of living. So how exactly does this process of spiritual transformation work? Well, in closing today, I want to very quickly give you three principles of spiritual transformation. And if you're taking notes, feel free to write these down. The first is this, that transformation happens within the context of a relationship. Okay, the taking off of the old and putting on of the new does not happen alone, and it doesn't happen of our own strength. I wonder if some of you maybe have been operating this way, just trying to be a better person, trying to, to do good. Listen, without the Spirit of God alive in us, bringing about this transformation, verses 25 through 31, they're just self-help. Okay, It's just us trying to be better, us trying to do good, and we should be making effort towards those things, but without the Spirit of God inside of us giving us the strength to move towards this transformation, it's just self-help, and self-help is really no help at all. But the Christian life isn't about self-help. The Christian life is a partnership between God and man. It's the Spirit of God working inside of us to bring about this change. And it's our obedient response to his leadings. It's a cooperative effort. And that's why it's so important for us to stay in close communion with the Father, to stay in that close relationship with God in fact, relating is what leads to transformation. We often think that the information is what leads to transformation. We just want to know what to do. If I can just know more, if I can just read more of these verses, if I can just get it in my head, then I'll be transformed. No, just filling your head with information doesn't change anything. It's a relationship that leads to transformation. Are you pursuing that relationship? What does that even look like? Well, again, You know, it's studying God's Word. Maybe a good place to start is reading through the book of Ephesians with us. We've been challenging you to do that. Take one of those Bibles home. Read through the book of Ephesians today and tomorrow and the day after. Spend time in prayer. And then learn what it means to be obedient to the Spirit. Listen for His voice. Ask Him to give you a clear understanding of His voice and a clear understanding of His Word. So taking off the old and putting on the new, it has to happen in the context of a relationship The second point is this, transformation is a process. It's a process. So when things don't change overnight, don't give up. Okay, don't throw your hands up and walk away. Taking off the old and putting on the new is not a quick fix. Transformation is a lifelong process. Romans 12.2 says this, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. There's that word, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So there is an intentional renewing that has to happen, and it takes time, and it takes discipline as we study God's word, as we learn to hear his voice and to move in obedience to his spirit in our lives, not just for the big things, but every moment, staying in that constant communication with the Father. Transformation is a process. Commit yourself to it. Don't give up when you don't see immediate change. And the third thing I would say about spiritual transformation is this, that that it's, it's purifying. Transformation is purifying. Look again at verse 24. It says, put on the new self, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Folks, the whole point of transformation is that we would move closer and closer to the likeness of God that we would become more and more like Jesus Christ, that more and more we would have his heart and his mind. And in this process, the Lord is going to continually point out any old self patterns that still remain. And then he's going to give us the power through his spirit to replace those old clothes, those filthy rags, with clothes of righteousness and clothes of holiness. He wants to purify us and to make us like Christ in every way. Transformation is purifying And some of you this morning are thinking, man, I've got a long way to go. I don't know where to start. I've been doing this on my own strength, and it's gotten me nowhere. Others of you here today maybe have never even considered that life could be different, that in Christ you could be made new. Well, I want to remind everyone here this morning of some things that Jesus has already said to us in the past few weeks through this book of Ephesians. He said in Ephesians 1.4, I chose you before the creation of the world. In Ephesians 1.5, he said, I've adopted you as my sons and daughters. In Ephesians 1.7, he said, I have redeemed you and I have forgiven you. In Ephesians 2.5, he said, I, I have brought you to life. In Ephesians 2.8, I have saved you. In 2.19, I have brought you into my household. In Ephesians 3.18, he said, I love you. And today in Ephesians chapter 4, what Jesus is saying is I have made you new. You don't have to live in those old clothes anymore. You don't have to be the same. I sent my son to pay for every mistake you ever made. And I put my spirit inside of you to guide and direct and comfort you. So take off that old self and put on the new. It is yours in Christ. Let me pray for us this morning. Father God, we stand before you. Every one of us affected by the fallen, sinful nature. Every one of us having lived in rebellion against you. Every one of us deserving of wrath and hell. And yet, Father, every one of us being offered the free gift of grace and forgiveness. And Lord, I pray this morning that, uh, that for those here who, who maybe have never taken a step towards you, never taken a step towards the things of you, the life of God, the heart and mind of Christ, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be moving in this place just now, that you would be calling us deeper, Father, calling us back into where our true identity is found, in Jesus Christ. Lord, give us boldness, give us faith to take those steps this morning. Father, if there are those here this morning who have claimed identity in Christ but are still living in the old filthy rags. Father, I pray for your Spirit's conviction in our hearts and lives as you continue to purify us and transform us more into the likeness of Christ, God. Would your Holy Spirit convict us of sin and righteousness this morning? Lord, as we've read in in Ephesians 4 and as we've read that list of what the old self looks like and what the new self looks like, God, if if there's anything in us that maybe we've recognized, man, I'm still relating with that old self. By your spirit, Father, would you give us the power to live differently, to take off that old self and to put on the new. Father, to take what what is old and broken and disgusting and to make something new and beautiful out of it. That's what you've promised us in Christ. Father, I pray that you would find us moving toward that promise in obedience this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit inside of us. Thank you for Christ. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.